Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And we're here to intellectually think of arguments and see what you stand on, or should I say, see where you stand on as we weigh it on a scale with truth, history, science, philosophy, and the reality that we live in and does it make sense. We were talking last week about, we gave a general reference to the three camps of apologetics, how a Christian defends their faith. Today, in one of the camps of evidentialists, we're going to talk about archaeology. When we talk about archaeology in history of the Bible, really it had its start about 150 years ago in the late 1800s. In fact, we're told by modern uh, discipline of archaeology was originally born out of an interest in recovering history. And that's not just any history, but specifically biblical history. We're told archaeology first appears in English in about 1607, where it was used to refer to knowledge of ancient Israel from literature sources such as the Bible. From this beginning, the ideal of archaeology was linked to the Bible. It's always dumbfounding to see how many people will think that the Bible is just legendary, allegory, and even just hearsay. We know that the Bible is the historical account of history that actually took place. One of the evidence that we have of archaeology, we read in Isaiah 20, we have a name of a king of Assyria. His name was Sargon. And this name is mentioned one time throughout scriptures. So we don't find it anywhere else but one time. And it says this in Isaiah 21. In the year that Tartan, now we always assume Tartan was a name, but actually it was a title of a commander in the year that Tartan came to Ashdod when Saragon the king of Assyria sent him and he fought against Ashdod and took it now no one considered this to be an accurate account of king Assyria in 700 BC yet in 1843 so almost 2000 years went by when everyone was saying that it wasn't so that this saragon wasn't a king that we find a archaeologist a french scientist his name was paul emile boda 
Um, he was excavating at Dur Sherakan, and Boda believed he was excavating Nineveh at the time when he was actually exposing the palace of King Saragon II, and that was near Iraq in 1843. Now, Boda, the archaeologist, found a number of cuneiform tablets as well as sculptures with inscriptions. And when they, he brought them back to Europe to identify them, um, Saragon, king of Assyria, of Assyria, was mentioned. Something else we learned in archaeology that was questionable in the Bible, and this was how early were camels domesticated? Uh, it was always assumed that it wasn't so when we heard about it in Genesis 12 about Abraham. Um, it tells us in Genesis twelve sixteen it was about 2000 BCE, and it says this, that he treated Abraham well for her sake. Now, this was a king, Pharaoh, who was, was looking at Abraham, and he was treating him well, it tells us in Scripture, and he had given sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels uh, that he gave as a gift to Moses. Now, this subject about camels was debated among historians who had studied whether or not camels were domestic during this time of 2000 B.C. when Abraham was around. Upon visiting the place of Sinai, when they began to do some archaeology dig, the place where Moses was believed to receive the Ten Commandments, Dr. Randall Yonker discovered a petroglyph of a camel being led by a human. And this finding had shown that camels were indeed domestic as early as 1500 B.C. But wait, there's more. On the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, in what is today Lebanon, Biblos was the ancient Phoenician port of the city of Jebel. And what they found is an inscription of a gold camel figuring in a kneeling position from the third dynasty of Ur. So this took us back to 2070 B.C. to 1960. So the Word of God foremost tells us that the Scriptures are breathed and are carried by God as authoritative, infallible, and inspirational. It says that in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So indeed, we should be able to look towards Scripture as we open the Bible, and the historical account should come alive. You see, the Bible legitimizes itself through archaeology. It was well said of Jesus to the Pharisees as Jesus announces his kingship, the peoples and the disciples were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they begin to say Maranatha and sing songs. And they said, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisee religious rulers called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if they should keep silent, 
the stones would immediately cry out. And here Jesus was talking about his kingship as the Messiah, that if they were to keep quiet, the rocks would cry out. Well, in history, we see thousands upon thousand artifacts crying or shouting out from the hilltops in rocks that the Bible is alive and well and confirms itself over and over again. Now, one thing I want to talk about is Yahweh, the name Yahweh. As we take a look at the name of the Israelites God and the Christian God in the Old Testament, Now, Yahweh, at the time, in those days, there were no vowels. So it was Y-H-W-H, which we call a tetragrammaton. And in the Bible, that name Yahweh appears over 6,000 times. Now, for sure, there are many digs with inscriptions that mention the Israelite God. But I want to talk about two inscriptions are the oldest inscriptions that we have Of the name of Yahweh. Now, I want you to know that it was a couple of thousands of millennia before we could even come to these archaeology digs and find this out to be true. Well, the first one we find, and and the other thing I want to mention is that in 1500 BC, we need to remember that secular academia did not believe the Israelites existed in 1500 BC. So in 1930, the Temple of Amara West that was built by Ramsey II in 1200 BCE, it was Ramsey II that had a list of foreign enemies on what was called the inscription Nomads of Yahweh. Now, this was in the late 1300 BC. When we hear that name Nomads and we look at the Israelites, it is significant. Because the Israelites had no country. They were not a nation at this time. They lived in no city. What better way to describe them in an inscription as nomads? Also, the secularists try to say that it was the Edomites and the Canaanites who were worshipped Yahweh. But there is no single evidence for this. This is this just their presupposition, again, getting in the way of the data. But it's the second inscription I want to talk about. In 1400 BC, between 1369 BC, in the temple of Solib, built by Amenhotep III, the one, what, this one was excavated in 1950. And it dates back, think about this, it dates back to 1500 BC. This was the date, the same half century that Moses was living in, not so long after the death of Moses. What makes Solobak significant is the oldest to date found of the name Yahweh. I want you to know that Donald Bruce Redford is a Canadian uh, Egyptologist and an archaeologist. He talks about this, and we'll talk about this as we come back with evidential arguments on archaeology. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics 
goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Join Creation Fellowship Santee's Apologetics Speaker Series Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. via Zoom. First Peter verse 3 chapter 15 says, To always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Creation Fellowship Santee's brand name apologetic speakers will do just that. Equip you with the knowledge and tactics to explain your Christian faith. Get equipped Thursday nights at 6.30. Learn more on Facebook and YouTube at Creation Fellowship Santee or email creationfellowshipsantee at gmail.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona on K-Praise. How you doing? We're back at the second half of 1530 Apologetics, and we're looking at the evidential uh, part of the system, and this is talking about archaeology. Now, as we talk about the name Yahweh, um, the oldest tetragrammaton that we have that's been um, found, it was Donald Bruce Redford is a Canadian Egyptianologist and an archaeologist, and he's currently a professor of the classic ancient Mediterranean studies at uh, uh, Pennsylvania State University. And this is what he said. For half a century, it has been generally admitted that we have here the Tetragrammaton, the name of the Israelites' God, Yahweh. And if this be the case, as is undoubtedly is, the passage constitutes a most precious indication of the whereabouts during the late 15th century BC of an enclave revering this God. And so it just gives us, uh, uh, it gives us qualified uh, answers to know that these historical accounts were true. I want to talk about the Jericho walls for a second here. We've all heard, heard of how Jericho walls came tumbling down. But I want you to know that when we're looking at the archaeology account, that it tells us in Joshua 5.10 that it was during the spring harvest that they began to circle around Jericho. And as they circled around Jericho, they were to give a trumpet blow, the people were to cheer, and the Bible tells us that the walls came tumbling down. Now, as they excavated the walls of Jericho, they found that there was an underneath wall. So it was on top of the ground, but they had this underneath dirt wall. And then on top of that, they had this huge brick wall that was just huge among us. Now, they can go and look at as they begin to uh, excavate this ground. And what they found out is that the walls, all the walls, full circle, came tumbling down forward. And this ain't this isn't always the case. Usually when an enemy came after the people on walls, they would climb over the walls, they would push towards the walls, and the walls would cave to the inside. But here we have exactly what the Bible describes, is that the walls caved to the outside as the rumble came tumbling down. 
And what's even more critiqued about this is that when they went inside to excavate it, they found all these pots of grains of different types of seeds. And so we know that the Bible was accurate. I mean, these seeds, they were a commodity in those days. They wouldn't just leave them out. But there were pots and pots of grain that were sitting there, but they were burnt to ashes, but they can see that it was still grain that was sitting there. Also, the Bible qualifies that God had put a curse on Jericho, and we find even today that no one has rebuilt the city of Jericho Jericho, during this time. So we can look at archaeology over and over again to prove that the Bible is true. I want to talk about an Englishman, William M. Ramsey, in 1851, and he lived until 1939. Now, he grew up as a non-believer. He had atheist parents, and he graduated from Oxford University with a doctorate in philosophy and became a professor. Well, we find out that he was determined to undermine the historical accuracy of the Bible when it came to Luke, the physician, the historian. We know he wrote the book of Luke and we know he wrote the book of Acts. But we find that Ramsey, Sir Ramsey, he studied archaeology with the aim of disproving the biblical account. And as we find as he was ready to go that Williams Ramsey traveled to Palestine and focused on the book of Acts and which he was fully expected to refute as nothing more than myths. Now, we know that when Luke uh, wrote this, he wrote this in Luke 1, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set an order, a, a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all the things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. And so the test was on. The test was on to see when when uh, Luke spoke about geographic areas, when he spoke about cities and kings and nations and generals and uh, water systems and lakes and rivers, was it true what Luke, the physician, the historian said? Luke spent much of his time with some time with Mark, and he spent a lot of time with Paul, the apostle. Now, We are told that Sir Ramsey spent a quarter of a century looking at everything that Acts had said about the surrounding area in Asia Minor. And this is what he concluded at the end. He says that he had to concede that Luke's account of the events and setting record in the narrative were exact even in the smallest details. 
years of investigating every single detail or retracing places mentioned in Acts and looking at all the authorities, Ramsey came to the exact opposite conclusion. He came to the conclusion that not only was Luke a great historian, but that Luke was among the historians of the first rank. Now, when you begin to talk about someone, a historian of the first rank from an archaeologist who studied your work to try to prove you wrong, it shows a lot of what we have in our Bible with accuracy. And he even went on, Sir Ramsey, to write a book that was called St. Paul the Traveler and the Roman Citizen. And so as we go further, um, we find that there was this burial that took place. And this burial took place um, when they would bury people. They would put a lot of charms or they would put things that they considered to be tradition within these burial uh, compartments. And here we find the title and we find these two uh, little scrolls. What makes this two little scrolls that was in this uh, burial ground um, it tells us here that as they dug it up, they found two small silver scrolls that were discovered that contained portions of scripture. Notably, it was Numbers six twenty-four through twenty-six and Deuteronomy seven nine seven nine. Now, most of us know what that verse uh, talks about. It's that verse uh, that says, "The Lord bless thee." And keep thee, and may he shine upon you. And um, it goes on to say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and grant you peace. Well, what makes this extraordinary is that these scrolls here, and they were small. They were only like four inches long and about two inches wide. But when they found these they were dated 400 years earlier than we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls, when we found these in about 250 B.C., the Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed the the acronicity of the Bible that we had of the Old Testament. Because when they found these Dead Sea Scrolls, it was the one of the oldest books that we had of manuscripts, and it confirmed it be to be very reliable. But here on these scrolls that they dug up and they found 400 years before the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was in the books of Numbers. I mean, that's the Torah. That's right after the Torah, right? We get the book of Numbers, and here we have a scroll with some of the manuscripts that were written on it. And so as we look towards uh, archaeology, we can look over and over again. Do you realize that we have hundreds and thousands of artifacts? And there's even some that we haven't, I mean, there's much that we haven't even looked at that confirms the the reliability of the Bible. And this is why the evidentialists will come in with archaeology. You can find out that there's much given as you look through um, the writings and books of academia, and you can find much 
history that was given to archaeology. And this is why we stand on that. It confirms in history, not only do we have a historical account of the Bible, that it wasn't myth that these were real people that were walking, that they were real cities, that they were real governors, real generals, real lands that were given and battle was being taken. And so you can be sure to rely on the manuscripts, on the very Bible that you hold. Next week, we will be talking about the classical argument of the Bible and why it makes sense to point to a God. So I hope that you continue being with us with 1530 Apologetics as we talk about the Word of God and history and science and philosophy that you could be grounded and know that the Word of God is sure. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics and we'll see you next week. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.